Welcome to Getting Intimate with CX, brought to you by Brandhook and distributed through the CMO magazine. We can actually have real-time um, data coming into our customer dashboards, but making sure that we're not one-dimensional. Mm. So I think to get that true view, the true experience in intimacy, we have to value rational and emotional, and we have to value short and long-term. Hi, I'm Pip Stocks, and I'm your host for Getting Intimate with CX, an 11-part series about what makes a great customer experience and how brands in Australia are getting intimate to do that. Great. Well, my guest for our very last episode of Getting Intimate with CX is Louise Ayres. Hi, Pip. How are you? (laughs) Good, Louise. Um, Louise is now creating the marketing function and strategy for the Australian Sports Commission. Um, before that, and when we first met, uh, was that Louise was the Group GM of Marketing at ANZ, having worked at the bank for 13 years. That's like a lifetime. It is. A few, I think I said three CEOs, so that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, and obviously started your career at BHB Billiton and Mining. So welcome. Thank you. Great to be here, especially for the last one for the year. Yeah, last one. And hilarious that your sister did the first one. Yes, yeah, if you had have done us at the same time, you could have saved some, saved some capacity. So I, I wouldn't have known who was who though, because you sound exactly the same. We've set a um, a bookend strategy for you. Yeah, exactly. Well, Rachel and I are going on to the bag ladies after this, which I'll explain at the end. So we'll get you on for that one as well. Excellent. All right, let's start. Um, so the idea is that I'm asking everyone the same seven questions and kind of looking at the responses that we're getting, which are um, very insightful. Um, the first question is uh, always a corker. When was the last time you had a great customer experience and who was it with? Yeah, great. Well, I think as someone who spends a lot of time on planes and in hotels, um, the last really strong experience I had, I'm thinking of um, with QT hotels, and it was after I'd checked in in the hotel room, had a long day of, of meetings, and then there was a knock at the door. And there before me was a card, a gift, and a very personalised delivery to celebrate a certain milestone number of visits I oh, had wow. at QT. And it was unexpected because I certainly hadn't counted how many nights um, I'd spent there. It was personalised, it was a gift. Um, and a real acknowledgement and I thought it was very interesting that rather than have that transaction happen at the reception or the check-in, sort of allowed the time um, to bring in. So I think hotels are really bringing that personalisation and that um, authenticity. And another example at a different level of um, hotel chain, um, I stayed out and I put some comments on an aggregator and some positive, but also I had some um, criticisms. And the next day, I get a phone call from the manager um, of that hotel chain, both acknowledging the positives that I wrote, but also wanting to discuss um, the criticisms. And to think that the manager and being the next day on your mobile phone, again, responsive, personalised. It's amazing. Um, great, great experience. Was the gift you got from QT something that you would like? Yes, and I think it was um, personalised, so it was um, actually a dollar value to QT spas. Oh, nice. And again, thinking about probably relaxation, something that you wouldn't have time to do normally. So it was thoughtful, but again, it, it gave you a different experience within the hotel. 
Did you sleep on your robe and run down to the spa? <laughs> no, I didn't. I think I had too many meetings. But I still have the experience and um, I still have the card and the voucher. I've got to check the expiry. Um, but as I say, something so unexpected. Um, and I thought, just I thought you were going to say I'd had too many wines. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did do that. It wasn't going to shock the, um, the other hotel guests. <laughs> I often run down to the spa in my um, in my dressing gown, which you know um, must look a bit strange to the other guests. Yeah, that does sound like a great experience, and I think people have talked about that element of the combination of you know really getting it right with personalisation, but also that surprise and delight thing. Exactly, and, and picking the moment. So mm. again, even the second example, calling me on my mobile to have that conversation. The um, the hotel manager could have emailed me, mm. could have text could have responded on the website but actually chose to call, um, which I was very impressed by. Yeah, that's a great – well, good experiences. Uh, So is it those things that you think makes a great customer experience, this idea of personalisation and surprise and delight or are there other things? I think it is certainly those elements, especially when it is surprise and there's an acknowledgement that you weren't um, expecting. Um, But I also think there's elements around that convenience um, and ease component. And when you talk about your robe, it reminds me um, of a story. And we won't do visual um, (laughs) examples of of Pip and her robe, but... um, I heard a story last week at, um, at the Umbrella Conference um, from Sport England and it was an interesting story around um, as Sport England was trying to get more women um, and, and really asking the question why women are not using swimming as part of their um, fitness regime mm. and, and through London hotels. I can tell you why. Uh, well, let's see. And so they did the mapping, did the customer journey analysis and, of course, it led to the obvious but actually going through that discipline of the fact that women don't want to have wet hair in the middle of the day, um, don't want to have that sort of almost walk of shame where the change rooms are so far away from where the actual pool is Mm. um, and the fact that then there's nowhere to leave your belongings without them being wet or or on the ground. But just simply doing that analysis, they've now put in... um, you know, high-end hair dryers, straighteners, hair products, put the bathrobes that women can wear robes down to the pools, hooks all over. Yeah, brilliant. Um, small cost um, but a lot of insight that's saying how do we get um, women back in to using pools during the day as part of their exercise yeah, um, that's regime. Brilliant. I could have told you about the wet hair thing. As a woman who spends hours straightening her hair because it's frizzy, um, yeah, I'd never swim during the day. And my husband and I stayed on, away on the weekend at a hotel and he's finished, so we had to go and check out the sauna. <laughs> and uh, I had planned that I would wash my hair after this event so that I could do all that. Like it's weird what goes through your head. But had I washed my hair that day, I wouldn't have had that experience. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's just mapping out and looking at from that experience, what are all the barriers? You know, we're all talking about journeys um, and mapping out pain points, but often it leads us to very obvious um, conclusions and ones that we know because, you know, even as CMOs, we're customers too and we should almost use our own intuition more often. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that in a minute about intimacy because I'm a big believer in getting out of the office and getting people into the real world. Um, So... Why are some brands able to crack a great customer experience and others are not? Well, I think there is an element around culture and commitment and it does take the hard yards. Um, And 
Where I've seen it work well is certainly when the CEO and the board do take a leadership position, but it can't be left just to the um, to the executive committee, but they need to actually show by actions rather than just words that the customer is at the centre of um, the organisation. And I think we all say that, but the difficulty is, are you going to make those operational changes to make that happen? Mm. And, and those changes are hard. If it's changing how the P&L lines are um, organised, so organising around segmentation rather than products, are you going to commit to reorganising and redesigning the entire organisational structure? Will you look at both long-term measures and short-term? So I think it's a case of a, um, a leadership um, organisation and leadership committee actually making those hard yards and bringing the customer in, both literally and symbolically into the business. Operationalisation of the customer is something I wrote about recently and I, um, I really experienced that, um, I think we've experienced that as a, as a company or as a consultancy over the last few years where you do this amazing piece of work that really identifies who the customer is, what their pain points are, but what the normal issues are that they're dealing with, getting granular and in their lives and all the rest of it. And then you find the work just gets put kind of to the side because, you know, the realities of business get in the way. And so operationalising those things so that the customer can't fall into a cupboard or a drawer is so key uh, and a big part of where I think the whole experience gets let down. Yeah, and it requires a big effort and a continual effort. So do you have that commitment to make that behavioural change and that cultural change internally? Because if you think you can do it by words or by some PowerPoint slides, mm. um, it is not going to happen. And and I've seen that across my career when a CEO has um, set a pivot in organisational strategy it requires significant time and commitment mm. to operationalise that change in strategy and customer centricity is another dimension to that strategy. Mm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of passionate about how companies can do that actually moving forward because if you, you, know, if you want to be able to not just understand them but activate some of the things that people are telling you, you have to have a process to do that. And sometimes the task seems too big and even looking at the work um, with the Sport Commission now and how do we bring a government agency, um, the Sport Department of Health, um, into that model of customer centricity, sometimes the task can seem so big. Mm. So it's identifying those small components and potentially that's where the work that um, you're doing can help identify okay, where do I start mm. on this journey? So I know where I'm going to end, but you've at least got to start. Yeah, just start somewhere. Um, so we obviously believe in customer intimacy as key and we actually believe that it really does give businesses a true competitive edge. So whether that information can crystallise your brand purpose or can I refine your values or just connect you better so that you intuitively understand your customer, we really believe that. Um what uh, what kind of ways do you plan to get intimate with your customers? Yes, well, I think there's ways um, that can be both theoretical and practical. And I think one of the elements in actually going now into a completely different sector is actually realising that customers no longer excuse poor experience based on an industry or a category. Mm. So I think a few years ago I said, oh, OK, that's... Um, 
you know, the energy sector or that's financial services, but our customers, just as we ourselves, expect what we get at a QT in the banking. And so sporting organisations are looking to the, at the, what the banking sector is doing. Banking is looking at what digital platforms are doing. Mm. So I think one of the first parts of the sort of customer intimacy process is really looking at um, other sectors and the whole customer experience, not just the part um, that you play. Uh, another key part that we did with ANZ and um, over the last two years was one of the largest trans-Tasman pieces of customer research where we started to identify our customer segments by typologies, mm. so by behaviour, by attitudes, um, and mapping those rather than by demographics. And actually seeing, particularly when it comes to money, sort of the person you are and the situation that you're in, mm. and actually using those as the drivers. So for money, really your habits towards money are embedded as part of your personality and your DNA. So, and most people can, within about seven questions, um, identify th themselves in the quadrants that we created. So, are you a spender or a saver? Yeah. You know, where does are you risky or are you risky or are you um, cautious? And is money something that gives you pleasure, or is money something that causes you concern mm. and um, that you need to feel secure by? And really understanding then that if that. Um, trait and that attitude to money stays with you throughout your um, your life um, and is really established and as with teenage children you can certainly see their attitudes to money fairly quickly yeah um, then working out you know what's our relationship with them then each time they connect with us as they go through their um, through their journey it's funny I can see that with my boys I'm uh, Oliver's might be a bit more like his father a little bit more careful and Christian's just buying everybody coffees and lollies <laughs> exactly and, and I've got one like that too so I've got one of each and so one gets joy from seeing her bank balance increase and that gives her um, a sense of security and yes my son is um, you know the bank to everybody <laughs> the other thing about finance I think is interesting because we've worked on a quite a bit of work in the sector at the moment as well um, is that it is ingrained in kind of it's part of your family heritage you know you kind of grow up with people that are like you so you, that's how you're modeled but the interesting thing we also found was that you can also reject that too so if you, um, we spoke to a couple of young couples and one of you know some of them found that if their parents were lousy with money they were going to be really careful mm. with money or if their parents were really tight they were going to be quite flamboyant so it's interesting how that can work too and it works as you say with partnerships yeah so we also sell partners that um they acknowledge the need to perhaps once a week do the Excel spreadsheet to keep their partner happy. Um, but then their true self was actually wanting to get enjoyment from from spending. And, and equally with financial services, because I mean, people say it's a low interest category. I say it's more just a low connection, high interest. Mm, so we have very limited opportunities where um, our customers come in and connect with us or have a real reason. And so we have to make sure that we're ready at each of those what we call points of market entry. Each of those points we understand the person, understand the situation and we're ready to connect because we may only have that opportunity mm. you know, once every five or ten years depending on the product to actually have that customer intimacy. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, so... How's your how, how do you plan to measure um, your customer intimacy at the Australian Sports Commission? And we're hearing a lot of, you know, kind of 
There's a lot of standard dashboard metrics. So MPS is obviously a big one that people feel that they, they can use. Satisfaction measures. What other things are you looking at? Well, I think it's going to be a combination of those, but in a dashboard that addresses that emotional and the rational. Mm. So I think that's certainly, again, through the typology work, we identified um, in a financial context that the functional drivers of choice um, really get you on the consideration list, but it's the emotional drivers that get you chosen. Yeah. And so how do we develop dynamic dashboards? And that's the beauty now with, with our um, data systems that we can actually have real-time um, data coming into our customer dashboards, but making sure that we're not one-dimensional. Mm. So I think to get that true view, the true experience and intimacy, we have to value rational and emotional and we have to value short and long-term. So I think as well we have to recognise that if we're creating long-term brand behaviour or with the Sports Commission looking at how do we make Australians more active? Mm. How do we create behavioural change at a national level? That's going to take a long-term yeah. com- conversation and I think that's the opportunity we have um, in a dashboard style but making sure that we've got sort of complementary metrics and not be fixated on one. So we've seen when we've all gone down the customer satisfaction path or we've all gone down um, the NPS path but is that giving us a full view of both business and customer growth? How exciting starting this from scratch? It is exciting and it's exciting yeah. to bring learnings and again being quite open to see what can come from different sectors, different industries and the fact is that um, ANZ's customers are the Sports Commission's customers. It's it's you and I. Yeah. Um, we are the, the target audience and so actually looking at again both from a, a sport perspective but equally a health and that move to drive uh, physical activity and physical literacy. Well, you've got to understand lifestyle, really, don't you? Absolutely. And culture changes and... And how you make behaviour changes in those sort of, you know, micro moments. So we can all say we're busy mm. and... Um, but how do we actually look at inserting ourselves into that um, national conversation and behaviour? And I read actually somewhere um, last week that now we're actually doing 32 hours of activity every day. So how we stack things, we do multiple things at the same time. Um, and so we're endeavouring to fit another um, sort of eight hours of activity into a day. So again, from a physical activity point of view, how can we make it easy? Mm. How can we make it convenient that you can actually do activity whilst also perhaps doing one other task? Yeah, walking up the stairs versus catching Listening the Listening to elevator. a podcast while you're walking. Yeah, yeah. Two activities at once. While you're catching the train and making dinner at the same time. <laughs> We've been doing that for years always. <laughs> Um, two last questions. So what technology or trend are you most excited about that could affect the customer experience? Well, I think the element of um, almost all the digital tools that are available to us now to actually move from being one-dimensional in our um, in our delivery to actually looking at collaboration and partnerships. So I think as we talked about with the typology work and actually really understanding um, our customers deeper, it's allowing us to identify these different partners and create those true ecosystems. So in there I'm thinking of ANZ's work with Honcho. And so for a small business owner, what are all those components that can be brought together now through digital technology mm. to 
enable a small business to be ready to start up in 24 hours. Um, Qantas and Airbnb, and they're now looking at work that Apple Health is doing in the sports sector and how Apple Health is starting to become an enormous um, powerhouse of innovation in health, sport, recreation. Um, but digital's allowing us to work with other partners, other um, collaborators. Um, that's quite exciting. And I think you'll have to, you know, it's one of those things where you're going to have to take a really holistic view because people's... I mean, we've finished a big project um, in sport for a big premium sport brand um, that specialise in special tights. And um, it was a, it's about understanding, like even those people that are dedicated to one discipline, one sport, and they're passionate about it, that's the only thing they're doing. And the, and the kind of even in that journey, there are people that are passionate about a sport but will dip into many other things as well to kind of get their fitness levels to a... You know, to a level that they're happy with or even fit things into their day. So they might do a yoga and then a Pilates and then a run. So you've got to have these all these partnerships with all these people so that you can offer a kind of you know, a holistic view even of one person. And that's definitely the, the driver and the insight behind the sport and physical activity. So if you're going to, into your walk or your Pilates or your yoga with a purpose of actually a well-being outcome, then that fits perfectly alongside sport. Mm. But previously we had sport in one um, bucket as something that was organised and then um, Pilates, yoga, walking around the park in another bucket. But actually that's not looking at the customer. That's not seeing how, yeah. um, how you live your lives. And the same with actually looking at the verticals of sport because then we can mm. see that um, with ourselves, with our children you're not actually just a netballer or just a basketballer. You actually dip in and out of a raft of different activities. And if we understand the customer better, mm. we can understand which sports and activities seem to go together at which age groups, um, understand the dynamics of that and actually put together a far more cohesive and holistic customer offering. Yeah, and it'll be anchored in their attitude to something, won't it? Like their attitude will be, you know, I really need to be the best or I'm running because that's, you know, and to win. Or team sports versus individual sports. Yeah. Am I um, really talented or um, passionate about the ball sports versus something that um, I can do individually? Yeah, yeah. All right, your very last question and the last question of the series. Oh, I better make it a good one. <laughs> yeah, don't say anything boring for surely. Um, so, uh, if you want to, if you had a magic wand, what would you change about a customer experience or your the customer experience you're going into? Well, given it's the last one, I'm going to have three magic wands. Good. <laughs> I'm going to be greedy. Um, I think the first magic one would be if only we could eliminate all of our legacy systems yes. and the things that are tying us back because we utilise that and it's an absolute real challenge. But if we could start again, and as you say, that's what's so exciting in the sport and health sector is to start again with a white sheet of paper, what would you be creating with all the knowledge we have? So the first one would be wipe out legacy um, and start again. The second would be, as we talked about almost at the very start, sometimes as CMOs we forget that we are customers and we are largely the customers of the brands mm. that we're looking to market and yet we don't take our own point of view. How is our, our family, those close to us, interacting in this category? What do we know ourselves as consumers? We talk about customer experience, customer intimacy as though it's something external 
but it is actually what we know, what we live and how we want to be treated and experienced as a customer. So I yeah. think we need to bring that perspective in. And then lastly, I would really encourage and bring in that challenge of thinking, and I know we've talked about that before, of how do you bring in different points of view, different perspectives, different industries into what you're crafting because you're not... Um, creating this customer experience in a vacuum mm. and I think bringing in different thoughts um, which I know a lot of brands are doing and, and brands are bringing your business in to do that as well but actually bring a different perspective in to the challenge a different voice will strengthen the outcome for all of us. You have to be brave to do that though you have to be prepared to hear things that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable and you know you're like that which is great and you're going to create a culture like that a lot of people aren't comfortable with that and I think some of our best ideas even from A and Z and now I can see it bringing in those examples or partners that I've used in the past into the sport commission actually the incremental um, uplift is far greater well it's not even incremental the uplift is far greater than you can achieve by Mm. just doing modest change yeah that's right Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about um, getting intimate with CX. It's very sad, isn't it, that this is the last one, but it's been a great series. We've had some amazing guests. Um, I am going to pull together um, some insights around all of this and and write some articles for the magazine. Uh, We're also hoping to have a panel in Melbourne and Sydney, so if you're hope not in Canberra you can we'll no, sit, I'll make sure I'm here you and your sister can bookend yes we'll do it we'll do a tag team <laughs> um and yeah thanks everyone for listening I've had some fantastic comments about um this particular series so it's been really good and enjoyable to be part of it um as I said Rachel and Kelly and I are starting a new podcast series called the bag ladies appropriately fantastic. named looking forward to that that'll be about uh retail and we've got some great sponsors on board already so look out for that and thanks everyone for listening see ya